Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Grace Judson about investing in people and preparing frontline leaders. Grace Judson, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have the chance to chat with you today. Um, you have a really interesting background, one that I think will be uh, very uh, applicable and of interest to my listeners, most of whom are, are managers or executives within organizational settings. Um, who are just looking for ways to better lead their people and, and to have stronger, more successful people management uh, practices. Um, and I know you focus a lot of your work on leadership, uh, particularly with, with first-line managers and how to help them to really be successful. So that's how we're going to focus our discussion today. As we get started, I want to share Grace's bio with all the listeners. Grace Judson is a self-proclaimed leadership geek. Uh, kudos to that, by the way. I love that you, <laughs> you own that. Um, and I think it's awesome to be a self-proclaimed leadership geek. Uh, and she's on a mission to help first-line managers build uh, foundational leadership skills. She has a vision of a world where people wake up looking forward to their workday because their jobs are meaningful, interesting, challenging, and even exciting. Her big question is, what if work was more fun? Not just livable, not just bearable, but fun. Work shouldn't suck. The corporate life shouldn't be a rat race. It starts with the first-line manager and leader, any organization's most valuable asset. Drawing on 25 years of corporate experience, including 16 years of executive leadership, plus 15 years of training, coaching, fledgling leaders, Grace's clients grow their management and leadership capacity, creating robust bench strength and expanding options for succession planning. Not incidentally, uh, they save money and time, becoming more productive and more successful and enjoying the rewards of a more engaged employee population. So, I mean, all of those elements, I think, are so foundational, so important to successfully leading any organization and working with people. Um, so I, I've, I really appreciate that framing. And, uh, and I am excited to have a chance to explore all of this more with you uh, today. Before we dive into the discussion, anything else you want to share by way of personal background that got you to where you're at? Well, it really is a case of having too many... I hate to say it, but bad managers and, and leaders that just weren't leading. I think, you know, in, in my years in corporate, I think that when we can start with that first line manager and really teach them the good management and leadership habits that they need before they develop bad habits because they've just been thrown in the deep end and aren't really clear on what it is that they need to do, because being a manager and leader is very different from being an individual contributor. 
Uh, and if we can catch them at that point, then companies have an opportunity to really, like I said, build that bench strength, but also to, you know, one of the things, even as we record this in the midst of a pandemic, one of the things that companies really are still concerned with is attrition and losing their high potential employees to other opportunities, typically because their managers aren't leading effectively. And so if we can catch those first line managers right up front and help them learn good leadership, good foundational leadership skills, then everybody has more fun and the attrition just isn't, isn't the problem anymore. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it sounds almost ridiculously simple, but it really can be that simple. Yeah, well, I, I think that's absolutely right. <clears throat> and there's nothing about what you just said that's rocket science. Uh, it's the same thing with, you know, what I do with organizations and lots of the discussions that we have on the podcast. Like, it's, it's usually not rocket science. It's, it's pretty just simple, basic principles that if adhered to consistently over time, um, will, will reap big benefits. And the, you know, so I, I continually ask myself why, if, if they're, if it's not that complicated, if there aren't, if you can just follow up some basic, um, characteristics and principles and steps and elements to the way you you structure your approach to your employees and the way you 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 develop your organization and it, it can lead to all these great outcomes why don't more people do it why is it like such a constant battle to try to get um employers and and leaders and particularly frontline leaders to to think more in terms of um meaning in the workplace and purpose in the workplace and interesting work and and just like seeing people as people rather than cogs in a machine and recognizing that, you know, with a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of empowerment of giving them a little bit of autonomy and helping them to be their best self will help you be a better leader and it will help the organization be a better organization. Yet consistently we see over and over and over again, how people just aren't very good leaders and how organizations kind of step in the same messes over and over and over again. Um, so, the question is why, like why, why do people struggle with what's really not that complicated? I, I, I wave my arms in the air and ask that question a lot too. Um, I think that there are some organizations that do get it right. Uh, and I think that they reap the rewards of that. I think others get so mired in, you know, tracking, KPIs, key performance indicators that may or may not actually even be relevant to their results. Um, people get mired in doing it, you know, by the book or best practices that aren't necessarily best practices. Uh, people think that training first line managers is too expensive. I would argue that it is actually way too expensive not to train them. <laughs> um, I mean, I have a spreadsheet that I developed over uh, with a great deal of research and digging that really shows just how astronomically expensive it is to replace a failed first-line manager. It's not just the hiring and training of that first-line manager. It's lost revenue from lost knowledge. It's, you know, I just mentioned the attrition issue and on and on and on. Um, so, you Google cost to replace an employee and you get one number, you look at the actuality of it and it's, it's a multiplier of that. It's, it's shocking. Um, I don't, other than that, I don't really 
I don't get it either because it seems to me, or you know, I wouldn't be in this business if I didn't see the value of it. And it seems to me to be very evident that when you take somebody who has spent a career lifetime being very tactical and checking off the tasks that they do, you know, okay, here is this project, go do the tasks to complete the project. They don't get the necessary strategic thought process that goes into, well, why are we doing this? Um, what is the actual overall objective of an organization? I did a very um, informal, but over a course of a couple of years, probably survey where I asked every senior manager, C-level executive, executive coach that I ran into, what do you think is the biggest challenge for a first line manager, a newly promoted manager? And this was not the answer I expected, <laughs> but it, every one of them, completely independently, said strategic thinking. But that's not what the first line manager would say their problem is. They would say that it's communication. How do I delegate? How do I manage a team where I was, you know, yesterday I was one of them, now I'm their manager. How do I get stuff done? How, what if they don't do what I tell them to do? Well, they still like me. You know, these are the questions that the first line manager has, struggles with and needs help answering. Yeah, I think that's all right. And, you know, as I think about the question of why, why don't uh, people do this, you, you mentioned the, the lack of strategic thinking ability, um, kind of the experience with tactical versus um, big picture. I think those are all correct. And I think, I think the, the fact of the matter is most people find themselves in management or leadership supervisory roles with no actual training on how to do it. Um, right. And, and they're just mimicking what they've seen other people do. And, unfortunate, <laughs> and unfortunately, there's so many bad examples. Uh, yeah. And so, so you just end up kind of repeating what other bad managers have done in the past, not knowing how to disrupt the cycle. And it and and the other issue is it takes it's not rocket science, but it takes intentionality and it takes consistency. And Absolutely. I think I think the consistency piece is the real tripping point for a lot of people. Um, because let's be honest, we don't live in a society that tends to value long term sustainability. <laughs> we we're kind of about immediacy. We're about we're about doing you know the the, the idea of of uh, uh, delayed gratification and doing today laying the groundwork for what's going to benefit us a year, five years, 10 years from now. That's a concept that, that honestly doesn't uh, play out um, very well in a lot of organizations because they're so focused on the KPIs. They're so focused on the quarterly reports. Um, they're so focused on just leveraging their current position to the next opportunity rather than seeing this position as what they are focusing on right now, make it the best they possibly can, focus on their people, develop relationships, you know, all of that takes time, all of that takes effort. And in the short term, it's easier to just kind of cut the corners and just bark orders at people. And, and uh, you might churn through people and they get upset and they leave. But if you're off to your new position in, in a year, you may not even care. Um, because you don't have to deal with the repercussions of the long-term effects of what you did. So I think that plays out a lot in organizations and it's really unfortunate. 
I, I agree, and I think we see that in you know the the stock market driving you know short term results on on down into this question of of leadership and and how we how we train our managers to be leaders. I think partly it is a neurobiological wiring. You know, as we evolved and were running away from saber-toothed tigers, short-term thinking was really important. And so I don't think the human brain is really equipped without that intentionality that you mentioned to think in the longer term very effectively. I think that we really, the other, the other challenge too, of course, is that often people who are in the senior executive levels, and I, I, I'm not making a global statement here by any means, so none of the listeners get wrapped around the axle about what I'm about to say, please. Um, but I do think that many of them come through either a sales background or a financial background, and fewer of them come from a human resources perspective. And that leads to, I know that I certainly ran into, in my experience, in my corporate experience, ran into plenty of senior level executives who were very focused on, again, the numbers and the results and not thinking so much about the human aspect of it and looking at so-called soft skills as being less valuable. I really prefer to put a spin on soft skills and actually call them workplace essential skills. And what I am gratified in recent years or so is to see that there really is an increasing emphasis or an increasing awareness of the value of, of what we'll call emotional intelligence and what I call professional empathy and the value of people being able to develop those skills in the workplace setting. Yeah, I love how you frame that as professional empathy. Um, I think, again, that is, is incredibly vital and, uh, and super important. And you've done a good job, I think, in framing why it's so important to focus on first-line managers, uh, because that's where the rubber meets the road of the business. That's where, where you have the connection points with um, where the products and services meet the consumers is with those frontline workers. And so you need frontline managers who can effectively um, facilitate, you know, having positive um, connections and interactions um, with, with the customers, which of course are going to drive the success of the business. Um, exactly. and, and I think you're absolutely right in terms of executives uh, and their backgrounds. So many come from finance operations, um, those types of backgrounds, which is of course super important. Um, and, and, it's, absolutely. It's, and it's why, you know, like sometimes HR gets a little bit of a bad rap when you're at, like, at, the, at the big boys table or the big girls table and you're thinking about the C-suite executives and trying to get HR a seat at that table, sometimes HR gets a bad rap because they say, well, HR doesn't speak the rest of the language of business or that that leader isn't capable of talking to the what's a, 
of importance and focus to these other executives who may come from an operations background or from a finance background or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously both skill sets are very, really important. Um, but I agree. I think a lot of times um, uh, C-suite executives get so enmeshed in, in the metrics of, of what they're trying to accomplish through the organization that they might lose sight of how they're accomplishing what they're accomplishing. They're, accomplish, they're accomplishing all of the work of the organization through their employees. It's the employees that innovate. It's the employees that, that are productive. It's the employees that do the work, that provide the products and services for, for, the, uh, the, for the consumers. And so we have to focus on employees. And of course, my bias is you know, that we want to have people-centric organizations where you see employees as assets, where you see them as, as, as a form of capital that's essential to the success of the company and worthy of investment, just like any other form of capital. If you have- yes, uh, if I you, love that frame. If you have, if you have a piece of a expensive equipment, you will be darn sure to maintain that piece of equipment, to invest in it, to upgrade it, to do all those sorts of things. So why not people? Why not the people asset? Um, why wouldn't you invest in them? Why wouldn't you train them? Yeah, it's going to cost you a little bit of money up front, but you're, it's going to save you a ton of money down the line, um, especially if you're able to retain great people who, who yep. have, have not, just, not just the knowledge, skills, and abilities um, with their specific job, but, but they have the intangibles and they have the institutional knowledge and they, you know, they have all of, all of the, the, the elements that will help the organization be successful. Um, one quick story, if you're, you'll indulge me. So years ago, I, I had a student who was um, who, who told me about her father, who was a senior um, engineer at Boeing. And this was following the 2008 recession, and and Boeing was trying to figure out ways to cut labor costs. And this senior engineer was close to retirement, and he was very high paid. And and so they just offered you know early retirement to a lot of people. He took it, got this nice severance package. Um, and, and was really happy. The problem was, uh, within a year, they churned through three different people. They hired these younger uh, engineers to come in and do what he did. They churned through three people who couldn't do it. They didn't know how to do it. Um, they had to hire him back as a consultant to come in and train for another year, then another replacement. And so Boeing ended up spending, you know, up the amount for a salary plus the consultant fee plus all the severance it, like it was so much more expensive than oh, if yeah. they then if they would have just kept him on and and then had someone else come alongside him and start to shadow him and, and learn what he was doing to take over and that's the kind of foresight that i think a lot of leaders don't have when they're looking at the hard you know dollars and cents um numbers that are sitting in front of them and they then they jump to quick conclusions about, well, we'll just cut costs here, cut costs there without thinking about the long-term ramifications. Yes. And, that, and that's, you know, we just have to focus on that. Yeah. And that story doesn't surprise me at all. Boeing has, a, I had a client at Boeing who was at Boeing for a while and, and you don't surprise me one iota in this story because of what she told me uh, and what I have heard elsewhere about Boeing. Um, but yeah. And the amount of money they spent in Recruiting, hiring, training, you know, just pouring money down the drain. And undoubtedly, people who were working 
in those areas that had to go through this leadership churn. I am sure a number of them left, or I would certainly imagine a number of them left. So there were additional costs on top of that. You mentioned the knowledge loss, the institutional, I mean, it goes on and on and on. And it is one of those things, as we both said in the beginning, why don't they get it? I think the right companies do get it. And honestly, I learned a long time ago from a friend and colleague who does um, customer service uh, training. And he's like, you know, I don't go, I don't even try to go to the companies that really, really need me because they, if they, if they got it, they would have already fixed a lot of the problems themselves. And that is absolutely true. You have to look at those companies that are not making those investments. And although I hate to look at the people as capital, I think your concept is exactly right that if this was an expensive piece of equipment, people would, would not even think twice about the maintenance costs involved. But for some reason, too many organizations don't go there about their people, but the good organizations do, and they are willing to then continue to invest. I think one of the things that, speaking of investing, one of the things that is interesting is that I see an awful lot of people, and I certainly was in the same place when I was in corporate, who are not willing to invest in themselves because people should not necessarily rely on their employer to volunteer training. People can ask for it and will often get it if they, if they work for a good company. And if they don't, then they should potentially look for another employer. But they can also invest in themselves because if you learn these skills, you are more employable. You have the skills that companies are looking for, even though they may not have the whatever to go out and actually train people to, for them. But if you invest in yourself and get the training, it's out there. It's, it's not such a bad idea to take some of your time and yes, your money to invest in your own education if you want a leadership position. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and I also want to um, say, you, in, in relation to your hesitancy to use the term human capital, uh, I get it because what I don't, the, the message I don't want to convey in using that term is that somehow um, the people of the organization are just these manipulable um, uh, Pieces of and, and, and interchangeable, which interchange, yeah, it's because right. that's, that's not that's not the case at all. But recognizing it from the from the the sense of yeah, we need to see the value of them. We need to invest in them. We need to just like we upgrade a piece of machinery, we need to upskill them. We need to prepare them, right? Um, yeah. That that is what we would do. We wouldn't, like you said, we wouldn't think twice about it with any other form of capital or assets in the organization. So we should absolutely do the same thing with our people. Well, Grace. I think you've actually given me an idea for a blog post. I was looking for an idea. Oh, well, good, good. <laughs> I'm glad it was helpful. Um, Grace, it has been a pleasure talking with you today. Uh, unfortunately, we're a little short on time, but before okay. I leave you, I do want to give you a chance to share with the listeners 
uh, how they get, can get in contact with you, find more about the work you're doing, and reach out to you if, if they would like your assistance. Sure, that would be great. Uh, my website is gracejudson.com. It's easy enough, it's just my name. Uh, and I also have a YouTube channel where I basically, I started out publishing videos fairly regularly and I decided to switch that down a little bit to just when I really have something to say. Uh, but there's quite a bit of content there. I think aspiring leaders, new managers can certainly gain benefit from a whole leadership video series that I have called Leadership A to Z. Uh, and for anybody who's interested in that spreadsheet I mentioned, that is also available. I don't even think I asked for an email. Maybe I do ask for an email address for it. But <laughs> it's available on my website. So that's also at gracejudson.com. Feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn and anywhere else you can find me. I'm always happy to answer questions. Excellent. Well, thank you, Grace. It has been a real pleasure. Thank you. Um, I think you've given me and listeners a lot to think about in terms of how we how we interact with our people and organizations and how we can better support those first line managers um, to, to drive organizational success. I hope the listeners will reach out to Grace, connect on LinkedIn, go check out her website, go check out her YouTube, um, find out more about what she's doing and, uh, and get connected if you think that there can be uh, some good synergies there. And I hope everyone will continue to stay healthy and safe. I hope you can find meaning and purpose at work and that all of you will have a wonderful week. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.